Folks, I will never make it as a rapper. <laughs> and I don't think most of you will either. I've reduced the message to just three lines and they've been pulsating in my mind for the last couple of days and I want them to pulsate in yours as well. Christ redeemed me. Christ is with me. Christ will take me home. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And Colin, I'm glad to see you've left the gold chains and puffer jacket out of the <laughs> studio today. We are committed to truth on unlocking the Bible. And uh, for sure, the statement, I will not make it as a rapper, <laughs> is absolutely true. I'd agree with that and neither would I. It's a marvellous gift, but it's not one that was given to me. So I got to enjoy the talent of other people that is marvellous. But, you know, here's my best attempt, you know, Christ redeemed me, Christ is with me and Christ will take me home. The reason I put these three little phrases together is they're a marvelous reflection of the festivals of the Old Testament. We're looking at what we should celebrate and what we celebrate indicates what we value. And the festivals in the Old Testament were really a rhythm that God gave in the course of a year to say, don't miss these things. These are the things that matter. So let them be reinforced in your mind and in your heart. And they all point us to Jesus Christ in a very wonderful way. And so I hope that there's going to be a great deal of joy. Probably not a lot of rapping on the program, but there will be a great deal of joy in the festivals that God has given to us in his word. So we're in Deuteronomy chapter 16 today as we continue the message, celebrate all that is yours in Christ. Here's Colin. Celebrations matter because they identify what we value. And that's why Deuteronomy chapter 16 is so important in the Old Testament, and that is why it is so important for us, because it raises the question for the people of God, what is worth celebrating? And Moses has three answers to that question. Number one, celebrate the feast of Passover. Now, you can read the story of Passover in Exodus in chapter 12. Many of you will know this story well. But to refresh our memories, God's people were slaves in Egypt. They'd been like that over 400 years. And they had been oppressed by a cruel tyrant who defied God and abused his people. And God said to the tyrant, let my people go. But the Pharaoh cared nothing for the word of God. So God came down in judgment and in mercy the judgment broke the power of Pharaoh, thank God. His mercy protected his own people. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And death came on that night of the Passover to every home in Egypt. It was an awful night of God's judgment. As the final day of God's judgment will be an awful day. But God said to his people, sacrifice a lamb and take the blood from the sacrificed animal and paint it over the lintels and the posts at the frame of your door. And then God said, Exodus 12, 13, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now you see, that's where Passover comes from. From Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13, God says, when I see the blood of the sacrificed animal painted on your door frames, I will pass over you. You. 
God saved his people from fearsome wrath in his judgment and brought them out of slavery and made a covenant with them through the blood of a sacrifice applied to them. And Moses says, celebrate this. Now here's the second, verse 9. Celebrate, verse 10 rather, the feast of weeks. Now, the timing of these festivals is a matter of some debate, and in order to keep this to time, we're not going to go there today. But let me simply make two observations. The Feast of Weeks is obviously connected with the harvest. See that in verse 9, count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. So it's connected with harvest. If you check out Exodus chapter 23 and verse 16, it is actually called the Feast of Harvest. You have the same three feasts that are mentioned there, but by different names. And Moses says in Exodus that it is the Feast of Harvest with the first fruits of the crops. So the beginning of the sickle going in is obviously significant, the first fruits. So it's tied to harvest, and the second observation is it's tied to the beginning of harvest. And this becomes especially clear in Numbers chapter 28 and verse 26, where again it is associated with the first fruits, that is, the first samples of the harvest that the people brought as a gift before the Lord. Moses says in Numbers 28, on the day of first fruits, when you present to the Lord an offering of new grain during the Feast of Weeks. So the, the day of first fruits comes during the Feast of Weeks. So clearly this is a celebration that relates to the harvest and relates to the beginning of the harvest. Now, where does the New Testament go with this? Two answers. Number one, it goes to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ in the New Testament is the first fruit. Do you remember this from 1 Corinthians in chapter 15? You're familiar with the Messiah. You can hardly hear verses from 1 Corinthians 15 without hearing the music in your mind and in your heart. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, the first fruit was a kind of a, a sample. It was a taste. It was a pledge of what was still to follow in the harvest. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Christ is the first fruit. So think about this now. You see, Jesus has been raised from the dead. Now, someone might say, well, that's marvelous, but what has it got to do with me? Here's Paul's answer. He is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he rose not only for himself, but he rose as the first of many. And just as the first basket of fruit that is picked from a tree gives you a sample of all that's to come from the tree in the remainder of the time during which it will produce fruit. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us a first glimpse of the day when all of God's people will be changed, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, in a moment and in the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. Do you remember Paul continues? He says, as in Adam all die... So in Christ, if you're in Christ, we will all be made alive, but each in his own turn. And he says it again, Christ is the first fruits, and then when he comes, 
those who belong to him. That's the first answer. Here's the second. The New Testament takes this theme of the first fruits not only to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but also wonderfully to the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking here of Romans chapter 8 and verse 23, where Paul says, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we have the first fruit of the Spirit. That's true of you if you're a Christian. What happens? Well, we groan eagerly as we await, inwardly as we await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And here's a fascinating thing. By the time of the New Testament, the Feast of Weeks was known by another name. You see what it says here? Count off seven weeks, verse 9, from the time you begin to put the sickle into the standing grain. How long is seven weeks in days it is? How long is seven weeks in days? 49 days. Just checking you're still with me here. Okay, so the day that follows the 49 days that have to be counted off is the 50th day. And so do you understand why in Greek the Feast of Weeks was referred to as, tell me, Pentecost. So Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. See, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Why were they all together in one place? Why does Luke say in verse 5 that in Jerusalem, there were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why had they come from every nation under heaven to Jerusalem then? Answer, they'd come for the Feast of Weeks. They're putting Deuteronomy chapter 16 into practice. And Luke tells us that it was on that day, right there in the Feast of Weeks, that the first fruits of the Spirit fell upon not just the apostles, but upon all believers. And that this was the beginning of the harvest that would come from the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Paul takes this up in Romans and he says, well, now you understand the Holy Spirit is given to us as the first fruits. Think of what that means. The Holy Spirit lives within you, giving you a taste, a sample, an experience of God now that is just an an earnest, a beginning of what lies ahead of you as a Christian believer. You have a taste of the love of God that you will know in all its fullness in heaven. You have a glimpse of the glory of Christ that you will see in all his beauty when you arrive in his presence. You have a beginning of the new life now that when you enter his glorious presence will be yours forever and forever. And that taste, that glimpse, that beginning, that pledge, that promise of what is still to come. Paul says it's, it's ours by the Spirit. And so changing the picture a little, he says, the Spirit is given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You have a taste already, just a taste, just a sample, just like the first basket of fruit, but there's a whole tree that's still to issue fruit. The first fruits. And when we taste the first fruit, oh, we long, Paul says, for the fullness that is yet to come. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and our message today, Celebrate All That Is Yours in Christ. It's part of our series, Take Two, The Power of a Fresh Start. 
And if you've missed any of the series or if you'd like to go back and listen again, you can listen to the whole series to date on our website. That's openthebible.org.uk. You can also find it as a podcast. Go to your favourite podcast site, search for Open the Bible UK and subscribe to receive regular updates. Back to the message now. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Here's Colin. So the feast of Passover points us to the redeeming work of Jesus Christ in his death on the cross. The Feast of Weeks or the Feast of First Fruits, whichever way you want to refer to it, points us to the resurrection of Christ and to the gift of the Holy Spirit, to Jesus' great promise that ties these two together. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. So Christ redeems us. That's something worth celebrating. Christ is with us, our risen Savior, present by the Spirit today in your life. That is something worth celebrating. Here's the last one more briefly. Verse 13, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. This one also was known by another name, sometimes referred to as the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths. Now, of all these three festivals, this one has got to be the one that was the greatest fun for the kids. Kids got to love this one. Because you find out more detail about what actually happened in Leviticus chapter 23, where we read these words, live in booths for seven days. You imagine that with the kids? What they did was they actually built out of um, branches from trees and leaves, they built a kind of shelter, a sort of tent. This is camp out, folks. That's what it is. It's a week's camp out and families coming from all over the nation. Can you imagine the excitement of the kids on this one? Hey, dad, when's the Feast of Booths? When are we going to make our camp out? You know, got to, got to make a better hut than the neighbors this year because theirs was really cool last time, you see? So here the nation comes to Jerusalem and they're all building these temporary shelters. Now you say, well, why in the world did they do this? The idea of the festival was very simple to remind God's people that when they came out of Egypt, they did not live in houses as those in the promised land in subsequent generations were able to enjoy. But for 40 years in the desert, God says, I had my people live in tents or booths. So live in booths for seven days. You say, where in the world does the New Testament go with that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. Listen to this. Paul says, we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house not made with human hands. That's where it goes. Oh, you're living in a lovely house. Here you are in the promised land. But spend a week every year in a booth to remind you that this world is not your home. You are passing through. And Paul says, this earthly tent that I live in, this, this body that decays and ages and wears out in all kinds of ways over the years, one day it's going to be destroyed. But that's not going to be the end of me. 
Because God did not create me to live in this booth forever. But when this earthly tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, not made with human hands. He's talking about the resurrection body. Folks, during the summer, I benefited a great deal from reading John Bunyan. Most of you will know that name. He's best known, of course, for Pilgrim's Progress, but he wrote many other wonderful, wonderful books that are much less well-known. Bunyan spent 12 years in prison for preaching the gospel. 12 years. He only lived to the age of 60. When he was in court on one of these occasions, the judge made it clear to him, you can go if you promise not to preach. You know what Bunyan said? He looked straight at the judge and he said, Sir, you and I are at a point. We're at a point. Because if you release me today, I will preach tomorrow. Well, you know what happened. And he was a family man. See, it's good to remember that about great heroes from the past. He had a wife who he cherished and three children Two daughters and a son, and one of the daughters who was closest to his heart was blind. He had a tenderness towards his blind daughter. And he's taken to prison, then he was released for a short time, then he's taken back because he won't stop preaching. Twelve years of all, out of the 60 years of his life, he's in prison. He says in his biography, his own story, Grace Abounding, he says this, he says that saying goodbye to his family, he says it was like Pulling the flesh from my bones. When he's released after 12 years, here's a pastor who had all kinds of good things to say to his people about how to endure difficult circumstances. I'd like to listen to that pastor, wouldn't you? I think he'd have something to say. Towards the end of his life, as he began to write down some of the lessons he said this, and I discovered it in one of his lesser-known writings this summer. 1685, he says, Sometimes I look at myself and I say, Where am I now? And he says, I give myself this answer. I say, I'm in an evil world and I'm a long way from heaven. Sometimes benighted, sometimes beguiled, sometimes fearing, sometimes hoping, sometimes breathing, sometimes dying, and the like. Then he continues, then I turn the tables, he says, and I say, where shall I be soon? And when I can see where I will be soon, after a few more times have passed over me, and I can say to myself, I see myself with Jesus, then he says this yields glory even to my spirit now. Now here's Bunyan out of his heartaching experience and he's telling his people, how do you endure the difficulties and the pressures of life in this world? How are you going to do it? And Bunyan says, I just keep asking myself these two questions. Where am I now? Where will I be soon? 
Every time I ask myself, where am I now? I'm reminded I'm in a booth. But soon I'll be in a city. I live in this fallen world where people disappoint me and where so much is so wrong, but I will not be here forever. Soon I will be with Jesus. And Bunyan says, when my soul can grasp this, then I am strengthened. That is the point of the Festival of Boots. That I can grasp the difference between what I'm experiencing now as a pilgrim in this passing world and what lies ahead of me in the presence of Jesus. So the Feast of Tabernacles, the Festival of Booths, reminds me that this world is not my home. It points to the second coming of Jesus and to the great inheritance that will be ours on that day when faith will be turned to sight, when this lowly body will be changed to be like his glorious body and we shall be forever with the Lord. In other words, it's reminding us in the temporariness and the uncomfortable experience of life in this world that Christ will bring us home. And that is why Moses says beautifully in Deuteronomy 16 and verse 15, your joy will be complete. So folks, it's done my soul good just to meditate on these three festivals and what they mean for us today. They point us to Jesus Christ and all that is ours in him. The Passover pointing us to the death of Christ. The Feast of Weeks or first fruits to the resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Feast of Booths reminding us that we are pilgrims in this world and soon we are going home. There's three things worth celebrating, right? Not just worth knowing, because that can leave you unaffected, but worth celebrating because that will shape your life. Folks, I will never make it as a rapper. <laughs> and I don't think most of you will either. But help me with this. I've reduced the message to just three lines, and they've been pulsating in my mind for the last couple of days. And I want them to pulsate in yours as well. Listen. Christ redeemed me. Christ is with me. Christ will take me home. Help me. Christ redeemed me. Christ is with me. Christ will take me home. Christ redeemed me. Christ is with me. Christ will take me home. Christ redeemed me. Christ is with me. Christ will take me home. That is worth an amen. That is worth celebrating. That is worth celebrating. Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ coming again. That is worth celebrating. So there are three great truths to think about. Christ redeemed me, Christ is with me, and Christ will take me home. You've been listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and the message, Celebrate All That Is Yours in Christ. It's part of our series, Take Two, The Power of a Fresh Start. And if you've missed any of the series so far, come and listen online to our website, openthebible.org.uk. Open the Bible is supported entirely by our listeners. That's people just like you. 
And if that's something you're considering, this month we have an offer for you. If you're able to set up a new payment to support the work of Open the Bible in the amount of £5 per month or more, we'll send you a free gift. It's a book called The Christian Manifesto, and it's by Alistair Begg. Colin, how might we benefit from reading this book? Well, the Christian Manifesto sets out what Jesus Christ calls us to. I mean, what are we to be in this world? What are we to promote in this world? What are we to do in this world? What are we for in this world? That's the heart of what Jesus is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount or in Luke's version. It's called the Sermon in the Plain. And Alistair draws out this teaching of Jesus in a wonderfully winsome and applied way. It's so practical. It's so full of grace. And it's so helpful and so encouraging. At its heart, what we're called to is a life in which we love those with whom we radically disagree, speak with gentleness and kindness at all times to all people, and to focus first on dealing with our own sins rather than with the sins of others. Now, that's very different from much of what we see around us. And yet it's the life that Jesus calls us to pursue And in pursuing that life, Christians are going to shine like lights in the darkness that's around us. So Alistair Begg's book, The Christian Manifesto, is our gift to you if you're able to set up a new payment this month in the amount of £5 per month or more. Full details on our website. You've been listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick, and I very much hope we'll see you again next time. What temptations are unique to leaders in every age and in every place? And what single priority should every godly leader pursue? Find out next time on Open the Bible.